right after this. The book is just part of uh, a book I've been writing for the last 40 years. I decided I better put it out, and when I did that, I realized I couldn't put it all in one volume. So I did the volume, which I think is a very uh, interesting volume because it deals with the, from the time I was born to the time I left Mississippi at 12 years old, and all of the events that happened between three months before I was born, I don't know, don't ask me how I know, but that's where my book starts, three months before I was born, and it ain't no lie. Wow, Until, now, um, you were born, you, you come from Clarksdale, Mississippi. Now, besides yeah. um, the legendary Sam Cooke, a lot of artists have come from, um, from Clarksdale. Who are some of them that were born in Clarksdale besides yourself? Muddy Waters used to live right across the street from my grandmother. Uh, I think John Lee Hooker, Ike Turner, uh, Morgan Friedman. Uh, I mean, most all of your blues singers. Uh, uh, did I say Lightning Hopkins? No, uh, I didn't know that. Um, 
uh, you could go on and on. Most all your blues singers and the gospel singers come out of Clarksdale. I don't know what it is. People in Clarksdale. I want to know what it is. There's <laughs> something in the water. It's magical. So many talented people it, come from Clarksdale. It might be the way we were treated. I don't know what it is, but there's some about the people from Clarksdale. And, and everybody in the world knows that's where the blues started. Mm-hmm. And I've, I've been back there. I went back last time I was back there was about a year and a half ago. What's it like going back to us back home after all these years? It's something else, man. You go back there, the white people who used to make us feel like we was nothing. Right now they so nice, but it ain't real. So no, okay. Well, that that leads to what um, our next topic we want to speak about. In the news, um, you've seen the murder of George Floyd um, in Minneapolis just a few days ago from the cops. And then also you see about the um, the murder of Ahmaud Arbery, which happened on February 27th. Um, it just came into the news um, back in April. And then also um, you see so many um, African-Americans being brutally murdered by the police. Now, this is something that's really nothing new for you uh, to see, is it, Charles? No, it's not, but can you tell me, I'll give you a puzzle. How do you get eight years of white resentment? I don't know how. Elect a black president. <laughs> wow, what a what a, a riddle. Excellent. Mm. Explain. Well, that's where we are now. We're in the wake of Barack Obama, who really couldn't do a damn thing for us anyway. Mm-hmm. But we're in the wake of his presidency. All these people have been resenting him all. You can tell now from all those eight years he was in the White House. And, and it's coming out in him. And, uh, and, and uh, the Trump, when he had his first conference with, with the police department, departments, uh, he told them, I, he said, don't be so gentle with him. Rough him up. Mm-hmm. So they have a license from the head honcho in charge to do whatever they please with us. Mm-hmm. And what they really please, they wish we were all dead. But now this man with his knee on this man's neck, okay, mm-hmm. for eight and a half minutes, that, was, that wasn't uh, just that man. Somebody told him to do that. This is done so we could get all emotional, Run out on the street and give each other the, the corona disease. That's what this is for. This is a plan. And we don't understand. Wow. Now, um, in, in your growing up in Clarksdale, um, as well as um, the early years in Los Angeles, have you ever experienced anything like this um, or seen anything like this or what's going on now in 2020? In my lifetime, you mean? Yes, sir. Yeah, it keeps happening. Mm-hmm. I mean, it just happened that somebody's catching it on camera every once in a while now, but it happens all the time. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've had my run-in with the police that were very unfair. I mean, I mean, I've had man handcuffed me to uh, the, the, the sun visor 
the, not the sun's eyes, the, the, you remember when they used to have the little things you turn and when it open it, it cuts the, cut the air off from coming directly at you? Oh, yes, yes, yes. And he had just one of them things one night, and he asked, uh, there was another brother, and, and I together, the other brother got, he ran away. So one cop went looking for him, and he this one took me around the corner park and asked me, what's the other nigga's name? I said, I don't know, man. I shouldn't have said that. It hit me dead in the eye. Hard as you can while I'm handcuffed there. Oh, no. Now, now this was when you were in uh, Clarksville or you were here in Los Angeles? It was right here in Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. And the song, song, I mean, song of the gun name was Love, <laughs> believe it or not. Oh, I never will forget. I mean, he, that eye caused me problems for a long time. Oh, my goodness. Now, you were, you were just coming back from performing or what? No, no, we were just kids walking in the streets, you know, and uh, at night, and uh, they rolled up on us. It was three of us, actually, and they rolled up on us. And, well, I didn't know, we didn't know who they were. They came busting through, real, they hit the gas real fast, and came coming at us real fast with the lights real bright, so we all scattered. And next thing I know, somebody sit behind me saying, "Halt or I'll shoot." So, wow! Wow! Anyway, so, so, so Charles, what is your perspective on things um, now? Do you feel that racism is alive and well? Um, we just now, many of us are just not taking our head out of the sand, or do you feel it's gotten worse over the years? Who can deny that it's alive and well? I mean. It's undeniable. Even the racist had to admit that it's alive and well today. And it always has been. It's coming out in the open is what's happening. And uh, But they knew it all the time. The police are here to serve and protect white folks against us. That's why they were created. We don't know that. But that's the fact. Most of the time they ride around in a black and a white car. The part they're riding in is white. Yeah, all of that's like that's logical. You, you know, um, Charles. See, I've, I've interviewed so many um, um, legends such as yourself. You know, like Mel Carter, uh, Jim Gilstrap on the show, Stevie Wonder. So many, and they always speak the same story about when they were touring, like especially down south. Um, many times they couldn't even stay in a hotel, the same hotel that they were performing in. They couldn't stay. They had to find one that was many miles away, or sometimes they had to sleep in their own car before they performed at a place. And they had hit records out there and still couldn't stay in an all-white hotel that they were performing the next night. Is that something that you experienced as well? Yeah, I've done several Dick Clark tours, okay? And Dick Clark, he had so much power. We would be coming into town. They sent out 12 motorcycle cops to escort us back into town. Mm-hmm. And he would take the white artists on the bus to the Hilton Hotel and send us to another hotel on the other side of town, usually a sleep hat, where black people could stay. Mm-hmm. This was in the 60s 
he used to do that kind of stuff, you know. I didn't respect him because he did. He was he allowed that to happen. He should have used his power. After all, he used our music to get over. He should have used his power to do something to level the playing ground. He didn't do it. So, so yeah, I've been. You, you, you're figuring that um, he he had all the power to be able to do that to put everybody in the same hotel, black and white, in the Hilton if he wanted to, but he chose not to. Is that correct? That's what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. And you know, um, the thing is that what makes it so unfortunate is that um, one man said um, just recently, um, everybody wants to be black until the cops pull you over. They definitely, take <laughs> over. they definitely love our music and everything about us, but they don't know anything about being black once the cops pull us over. Man, when it comes to our music like that, I was just, I'm just doing something now and then. I'm about to do something on Facebook or someplace about that. Mm-hmm. We created what they call rock and roll music. Mm-hmm. Now, I went, last week, I went online to see who were the highest earning musicians, rock and roll musicians. Mm-hmm. There was, I looked up 20 of them. All right. Mm-hmm. There were 20 of them, and they had, like Mick Jagger, has had $263 million. Uh, Paul McCartney's got $1.2 billion. And it goes on and on and on, and they had a black one in the bunch. Oh, my goodness. I go back to Clarksdale. And I'll tell you what's going to happen here, I'm in, in my estimation. They're going to kill all those people. They don't need to pick cotton no more with this disease. Wow. I go back there and I see all those poor people back there living. And they just, the houses that were still there that I was, was there when I was a child, and they're leaning towards the ground. they just waiting for all those people to die off. Do you know where FEMA coffin is? No, I don't. You should look them up. They got them stacked up by the millions. And they're shipping them all over the place, down south at least, I know, by the truckload right now. I was on Facebook, a lady ran into a truck with about five, 6,000 of them things on them. And they hold five, six people apiece. And they're shipping them down south. Wow. wow, and we don't even know. I, I've been wondering. I've been I've been hip to FEMA coffins for about three, four years. And I see I see the guy stacked up on somebody's property back there in Georgia. But I'm wondering what they got stacked. What they going to use them for? They got to have a use for them. Why would they create all those coffins? Mm-hmm. That now wow. that's some drab. I don't want to get to audience all involved in. In too much of that, but that's a reality that we have to deal with. That's a, that's a whole new level of evil and wickedness. Um, that's really sad yeah. here, you know. And um, yeah. I don't know if you agree with this, but um, black people nowadays need to become more educated and know who they fighting, and not fighting themselves, but to know that we're fighting against an enemy that um, never really loved us from the beginning. 
but love what we do, but didn't love us. And now, well, this and now that we need to, um, we're more educated, or at least we're more aware of it than we were back then in so many ways. But what are we doing with the knowledge that we have now? I don't, I don't know. We, uh, we don't want to hear, man. We start talking about it, they want to go do something else. They don't want to hear the truth because the truth is too hard to take. You know, what has happened here is they use the television and the motion picture industry to turn us into the baddest guys on the planet. We're the worst thing that exists. Every time you hear the music go, you see this dark monster coming. Every time something's bad, it's dark. So now that's us. So now we've been turned into this thing that nobody wants to associate with. They want to get rid of us. They did this to the Jews in Germany. You know, uh, I can't go into the details because it would take too much time. But the fact of the matter is, is we've been turned into this thing that we're not. We're everything but what it. We're not the evil ones. Hmm. We're not. We're not the evil people. We're some humble people. You couldn't have brought us all over your own ships and, and enslaved us for four hundred years if we were. Yeah. So. And um, yeah. the nicest, but we, nicest people you can meet is right in Clark. Yeah. They're all in the Mississippi and in the South. It's one of the most humblest, sweetest people you ever want to meet. Yeah, but you know, some we, we've been we've been seeing this other stuff so bad on the screen to now we hate each other, that is and now we want to kill ourselves, and that's what we're doing. The young people ain't got no more sense. They don't understand what we've been through or what. They don't know nothing about black and proud. They don't know nothing about the, what we went through in the 60s. They just out there trying to sell some dope and kill each other and take some territory. And none of them own any inch of the territory. So we we got a real problem to, to unravel all of that. It's, it's going to be a hell of a job. I don't think we can do it, man. But the, the thing is, like I was saying, Charles, is that we just first have to get our head out of the sand and stop being so ignorant on so many things. Um, you know, um, even some of the wisest people, of course, like, you know, so, um, the, the Martin Luther Kings, the Malcolm X's, um, Sam Cooks, you know, people who were aware of Muhammad Ali's, um, you know, they were aware of Jim Brown's of so many things that were going on. But the problem was that they didn't have enough smart people around them who were um, on the same team to be able to push forward and uh, help with the cause. But we, you know, with social media and so much awareness that we have right now, we should be able to fight this fight better than what we're doing opposed to fighting each other. What do you think? I think that, you know, every race on the planet got a place where they came from, from Italy, Italians, Ireland, Irish, England, English. Everybody is proud of who they of their roots and where they came from. We, on the other hand, can't be proud because we were picked up and brought over here on a ship and forced to work for hundreds of years, and we have no pride. We don't, you know, there's a song called uh, Lift Every Voice and Sing with the Negro National Anthem, and the last verse in that song, we sing it so long till we never get to that verse. And the one thing that man says in that song that we should be here is be true to your native land. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We never hear that and we never do that. 
I'm proud to be an African. I'm proud to be black. I mean, why would it? Let me ask you a question about that, uh, Mr. Wright, as you mentioned that. It's very interesting. Now, um, okay, Africa is a continent that has Arabs, it has Egyptians on it, Iranians, and it has, um, you know, blacks on it. Now, my question is, uh, when they came up with deciding to call um, blacks African Americans, I didn't think that was fitting because um, Morocco is on Africa, um, Egyptian is African, um, and there's many others, but they don't call them African Americans. It's only the blacks that they call African Americans. I just thought that wasn't fitting, even though we're not black per se. I mean, very few black people really are the color black. But did you feel? I'm like black as I can be. <laughs> but my question, though, is my question is: Did you see? Did you? Did you? Do you prefer to be called a black American or an African American? Uh, you know, I, that's a good question. I don't know how to answer that question. I I don't know if I, I'm even American. Now, you know, I have a friend called Oscar Brown Jr. Uh, Oscar. He used he he never would pay taxes, and the reason he wouldn't pay taxes is because of the Dred Scott decision, mm-hmm. and uh, it was said that we were only three fifths of a human being. Correct. Okay, and on that basis, he refused to pay taxes. You know what? They wouldn't attack him. They wouldn't do nothing because it, it opened up can worms, and we and none of us would have to pay no taxes. Wow. Yeah. My question, so, my question to Charles: Why is it? I mean, I was I was surprised that um, Obama didn't get that change while he was in office at the um, on the um, Declaration of Independence because he has the power to do it. Um, to me, he was, he was very great as a president. He couldn't do as much as he wanted to do because of all the racism he had to deal with. If he wanted to just make a law where um, they could have better safety belts in cars, the Republicans would just reject it just because it was him, you know, trying to get that law pushed, even if it was going to benefit people. In, in so Florida. what good was it, was it for us to have him as a president, after, especially if you look at the aftermath of what's going on now? What good is it to us to have him as a president if he couldn't get nothing done? Well, well you know, the thing is that um, his intention was to do that, but it's just the fact that... I don't know if it was, but I'm not going to argue with you on that point. But, but the, the fact of the matter, though, is he didn't get nothing done. And as a matter of fact, he was like a front. Like, I hate to say Nelson Mandela. What, you know, about, what about Mandela? Well, he could he couldn't look at the, what the condition of the people in South Africa are in today. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, look who's got the gold. Mm-hmm. Look who's in charge of the, of the mines. I mean, ain't nothing changed really. So I mean, uh, what good does it do to have a president? When I heard Botha, you know who Botha is, don't you? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I heard Bolton say, we love Mandela. He, he, he never gets in the way. He's just a good statesman. I heard him say that. Mm-hmm. You know, so that means he's a front. Now, now, uh, so, 
Now, now, Mr. Rice, have you ever been to um, Africa in all your years? No, I haven't, man. I want to, but I don't know if I'm going to go at this point in my life. I've got to be my age, and uh, I don't want to get no shots. I don't want to give me no no vaccines. Speaking of vaccines, there's a site that everybody needs to look at on on YouTube. It's all over goddamn all over the web. It's called the the science agenda to exterminate blacks. Yes, and I, that? I want to make sure I, I post that so people can check it out. What's the name of the website? The science agenda to exterminate blacks. And here's a white man who's telling us exactly what's going on. We need to check it out. Definitely check it out. It will be posted on the screen. Um, check it out. We can see exactly. And I hope you all um, tune in to what this, this wisdom and this profound insight that Mr. Charles Wright has given us this morning. Um, Charles, when we come back from this commercial break, this last commercial break, we want to talk about your hit, Express Yourself, as well as what you have coming up in the very near future. I'm sure I will be right back. And welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the Sherrard Show. I'm having a wonderful conversation with the iconic musician um, and the hit maker, uh, Mr. Charles Wright. Very insightful. If you missed the last segment of the show, we were um, speaking about um, the situation that happened with Mr. George Floyd's tragic tragedy, as well as um, what's the difference between, or if there is any difference between what's the racism in the year when he started, opposed to now in terms of police brutality. And uh, Mr. Wright was this, this sharing a story about him um, in Los Angeles, out here in Los Angeles at the age of about 20, being um, attacked as a youngster um, by a police uh, that was eight, That was just as I turned 18 when that happened. 18, I'm sorry, I stand corrected, at 18 years old. Just I turned 18. In California. Now, are you, uh, do you hold a lot of uh, bitterness or resentment from the things that have happened to you? Or, or how, do you how do you deal with it um, in this day and age now? I don't hold no bitterness. I mean, that only hurt me. But I'm a, I, I've remained aware of where I am, who I am, and where I come from, and what my people are going through. Mm-hmm. Now, um, we, we were speaking about um, this, like one of the um, it, it, quick story. You know, I'm um, originally from Chicago, and um, I've you know been friends with Her- the late great Herb Kent. He was a um, really big time uh, disc jockey for almost 60 years. Um, in good man. Very good man. And he was responsible for a lot of artists getting their big break, black artists getting their big break, just by going against the grain and playing their music um, on his station, such as uh, Bobby Womack, the Shy Lights, um, the Delphonics, so many people. Uh, he's responsible for that. And he used to always play your song, Express Yourself, on his um, <laughs> right before his Battle of the Best um, on Sunday. Yeah. So I love um, I love that song. Tell me the inspiration behind that song, Express Yourself. You know, I, we had a huge song called Do Your Thing. And uh, we were performing that one night at Texas A&M. And it comes to an abrupt end. It was the last song of the show. 
And when it ended, the kids kept clapping and stomping, clapping and stomping. And only God made me say it because I don't know what else made me say it. I said, express yourself. They went crazy. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> so I said a couple of other times, they reacted the same way. So I said, shoot. I went to my, me to my hotel that night and took a pencil and paper and started writing. And then I got on a plane the next day. And by the time I got off the plane, I had finished the words. And I came home and started working on them bass line, the guitar line, and I got all that down on tape, and I called the band in, and uh, I had this one guy, Al McKay, you know who that is? I've heard of him. Yeah, he played guitar with Wind Fire. I, I taught him everything you know. He was in my band, but he, uh, he wouldn't play it right, so I took the bass player and the drummer one Sunday afternoon and went in and called the engineer and went in and did the track. I came back and I played it for the horn players to play their part and they didn't want to play on it. They didn't like it. So it was a piece of junk. So I threatened them to go back and get some of my old studio friends and they'll be glad to play it and they grumbled and they played it. Then I took it to the president of the record. You know, you know, Charles. I just didn't mean to cut you off, but you know, this, this that particular hit song was a, was another soundtrack of a lot of movies, and it was more like an anthem, especially for the era, because it was for the way I took it. Even in the '70s, when I heard it, was um, first heard it, I thought of it as an anthem to express yourself and how you really felt about things, not holding things back. Is that was that your intention when you wrote it? Absolutely, but nobody liked it. I'm telling you, nobody liked it. The president wow. of the record company, the president of the record company told me not to put it out. I went first. Dis, we was working at a disc jockey's club in Detroit when it came out. I gave him a copy. He went in his office, came out, and said, "Man, you made a mistake this time." I mean, nobody liked it, but what I knew what it was. About it? I don't know. I guess it was something like they hadn't heard before. I don't know. But anyway, it's in right now. It's in about uh, seven, eight commercials around the world right now. Yeah, it sure is. I, I hear it all the time still. And what year was this? Was this song uh, made a hit? Nineteen seventy. Now you know um, this is one. And when I first heard it, it was very interesting because um, Curtis Mayfield was known for writing songs that were a, um, a, a genre music that was for the time. Um, Curtis Mayfield. Yeah. So, when I heard it, I thought it was something that he had written way back then because it was something that I'm sure if he heard it, he would have loved it, which he, I'm sure he did like it when he first heard it because it's, it's his kind of style of music, don't you think? I never thought of that. I don't know. Okay. And I'm a Curtis Mayfield fan and the Impressions fan. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> and, um, and, you know, it's, it's, it's amazing because um, that – you know, a lot of the a lot of the biggest hits for black people back then was music was music written about a time. You know what they were going through, um, because you yeah. spoke about the time. Okay, I got two yeah. more questions for you, Charles. Um, I'll, I'll let you go ahead and finish what you said. I'm sorry. No, go on. I'm, I'm, I'm with you. Okay, now um, music today, and the music from your time. Now, I mean, just set this up. Um, for example, you know, music in your day. 
you see a young lady that you like, you maybe can't express how you feel. So you put on some Johnny Mathis, you put on some Otis Redding and let her listen to it. And it explains how you really feel about her. And she gets it because the music was about singing to women instead of about women. What yeah. is the biggest difference you notice about music now opposed to your era when you were growing up? First place, my friend, and I'm going to do a, a something on this too. It's not music. Hmm. It's it's an assimilation of music. The, they, you can't uh, you can't make soul music using a metronome because that's all they're using an electrical metronome. They turn the metronome on, click, 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 and they start playing the piano with it. And a guitar or whatever with it, and they build up a track with instruments on it. But the track can't go nowhere. The groove can't move because that thing is so stiff, and it's really very bad for the neighborhood. It's it's taking the it's taking the feeling out of black people I because it, there's no feeling in the music, and they and since then. Nothing. The music has nothing going. They have to say all kinds of stupid and crazy things and cuss words and call the women all out of their name just to make it interesting. Mm-hmm. And people buy it, and you see them in their car sometimes, and they bobbing their heads because that's all they can do. They can't dance to it, and we are dancers. Mm-hmm. So they are really killed the spirit in the neighborhood. And it's it's a very unhealthy thing, and that's one of the reasons we're going backwards and we wear our pants down below the crack of our butts and calling each other niggas because we have lost what we always had. And the people that think they can stole it and gone with it, they got everything except for the spirit. But it, but it, what is missing on this planet now is good soulful music like we had in the 20s, the 30s, the 40s, the 50s, and the 60s. And all of a sudden, in the middle of the 80s, they killed it. Just killed. Now, would you say, Charles, that that's the reason why music like My Girl by The Temptations, um, you know, Smokey Robinson's hit, Daylight Darkness, so on and so forth. Romantic. You can pop it into any genre and it'll still sound like it make, was when it was written 40 years ago. Is that about right? Yeah, make people feel good. That's the whole idea, man. Mm-hmm. There's a music supposed to make you feel a certain way. And this music makes you feel either afraid or uh, I don't know what what a bad emotion it doesn't bring up. And some of it got mm-hmm. some loud boom. And let me tell you something. That uh, electrical loud stuff that you hear when people driving in their car that's bad for your heart you won't live to be 50 wow you said you said i want you said who listened to that one 